I'm the son of a social worker. And he would go to like the supermarket. It was all two. She worked at the school system near mine. And all the toughest kids would like come toward us. And I was like, you know, oh my God, what's going to happen? I'm going to get beat up because I was this asthmatic, like blue kid. And like this mean metalhead would come up and she'd be like, hello, Steve. Like they all, they're like, well, Steve. like they all knew my mother. Like my mother is very comfortable. She, you know, she, I guess what I guess I'm trying to say is she cared for people and dealt with a lot of tough characters and knew that they needed something that they weren't able to ask for. She would not hesitate in saying like, people need to be loved, people need to be hugged, people need that connection. I feel like there's a lot of my journey on the planet. And for a lot of people, there's a lot to gain by being together. doing. I hope that you are having a good day rather than a bummer one whenever you're listening to this. This week I spoke to Brendan Francis Noonan, the former longtime host of the Dinner Party Download, where he interviewed some of the biggest celebrities and thinkers and writers of our time. And he then went on to produce, executive produce, the acclaimed Paris Review podcast. And he's authored a book. It's called Brunch is Hell. And he's the VP of Pushkin Industries. And most relevant to today's conversation that you're about to hear, he is the host and executive producer of the podcast Not Lost, which if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you might have heard me mention it a couple of weeks ago. And since then... Well, I became a fan. I've listened to the entire series. I really loved it. And I think you will too. It's a travel show that Brendan started after both his long-term relationship and his decade-long stint as a radio and podcast host of the Dinner Party Download both ended. And he says in the description for the show, he found himself on the wrong side of 35, unemployed, single, and with most of his friends in relationships and parenthood or both. So he took a microphone, hit the road with some friends and his adventures become the show we're going to talk about, Not Lost. The premise of this show, I should mention too, is that in every episode, he travels somewhere with a similarly single or divorced friend of his and they then try to get invited to a dinner party with locals, with strangers in every episode. We talk about all of this, including the timing and how we did it. And I picked out a few clips and some concepts from the show that particularly landed with me about the balance between vulnerably sharing and holding things back that are just for you. And we talk about trauma and how that impacts our openness to be in relationships and be seen. We talk about loneliness, rejection, connection, and what doing the show taught him about these things, about intimacy, about friendship, about connection with himself and nature and other people and 
At the end, I have to, of course, ask him about interviewing and podcasting the medium and the industry. So stick around for that. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so grateful. And here's my conversation with Brendan. I listened to all of your new show, Not Lost, and went back and listened to the end of the Dinner Party download. And it has been a real joy. So I'm really excited to get to talk to you about your work. Well, that's kind of you to say thank you. First of all, thank you for having me. It's a, it's a little awkward being the other side of the mic, but I'm pleased to be here. Uh, and some of your previous guests uh, I'm fans of. So I'm honored to be in such good company. And uh, and it's thank you for listening. That's all we have won, right? When we work on these things is to have people connect with people. So it's nice to know you listen to it. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It was really funny when before we scheduled this, someone from Pushkin reached out about doing an ad on our show about we've done a couple from from Pushkin. And I'm always so excited from that network because there's so many good things that I get to discover. And this was one of them. And I was reading the ad and I was like, oh, I see why they wanted to to have this on my show. It feels very (laughs) aligned. And I was excited to listen. I listened like in a day and a half and went on a lot of hikes and it was really entertaining and inspiring. And I just super enjoyed it. So congratulations. So the, the show is called Not Lost. And I'm wanting to start with, you know, it's it's released right now. And clearly it was a lot of time and effort. And it seemed like you had a lot of fun, but it was also very vulnerable. So how are you feeling about everything? How are you feeling about it being released? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's um I feel happy it is out in the world. I did not successfully there was there was a way I could have successfully self-sabotaged and had it not see the light of day, maybe, but I was able to fight that impulse. I'm still making the last couple episodes. So that's really been a great, not in a positive, but like a distraction. I've just been too busy finishing them to really bask or or cower in, in the face of uh, this being out in the world. I started a handful of years ago when I started the show. It was before COVID. And I was in a very different place in my life. And so there's, and, and in the show, I play, it's me. But it's a little bit of a heightened version of me to make it more legible and interesting for people. And so that's a little, you know, it's a little awkward because I'm in a different place in my life. I have a different job, a different milieu to some extent professionally. And for them to hear me being a little bit goofier, a little more neurotic, a little more vulnerable, a little more single, a little more loose <laughs> is, uh, is it was awkward. But, you know, the team at Pushkin, the company I work with, they're all really kind, great people. And so that, that made that easier. And uh, it's been met with wonderful, it's been received really well. So I feel I'm excited. Mm. Yeah, that's something that we've been talking about quite a bit the last several episodes of, of this show, which is about how uncomfortable it can feel when we change. And I think we change so quickly. And this it'll be 10 years of me doing this show next year. And I cringe at the early episodes. And when I was listening to the end of your previous show that you co-hosted, The Dinner Party Download, the, on the last episode, you 
and your co-host mentioned the first episode of that show. And I think there's something about looking back on old work on, I'll look back on something from like two weeks ago and, and cringe. And I think that's part of as much as there's the Ira Glass, the gap quote, right? Of like having your taste exceed your ability. Nobody uh, tells people who are beginners. And I really wish somebody had told this to me is that um, all of us who do creative work, like, you know, we get into it and we get into it because we have good taste. But it's like there's a gap that for the first couple of years that you're making stuff, what you're making isn't so good. Okay, it's not that great. It's, it's, it's trying to be good. It has ambition to good, but it's not quite that good. But your taste, the thing that got you into the game, your, your taste is still killer. And your taste is good enough that you can tell that what you're making is kind of a disappointment to you. You know what I mean? A lot of people never get past that phase. A lot of people at that point, they quit. And the thing I would just like say to you with all my heart is that most everybody I know who does interesting creative work, they went through a phase of years where they had really good taste, they could tell what they were making wasn't as good as they wanted it to be. They knew it felt short. It didn't have this special thing that we wanted it to have. And the thing I would say to you is everybody goes through that. And for you to go through it, if you're going through it right now, if you're just getting out of that phase, you got to know it's totally normal. And the most important possible thing you could do is do a lot of work. Do a huge volume of work. Put yourself on a deadline so that every week or every month you know you're going to finish one story. Because it's only by actually going through a volume of work that you're actually going to ca catch up and close that gap. And your the work you're making will be as good as your ambitions. In my case, like I, I took longer to figure out how to do this than anybody I've ever met. It takes a while. It's going to take you a while. It's normal to take a while. And you just have to fight your way through that. Okay? I think there's something in the other direction about having mm. your where you are now be incongruent with where you were. But also, that's so where you were then. And you have to still release it to be able to grow. And mm -hmm. it, there's something complicated in there, but it's just something I've been, has been coming up a lot here and for me. Yeah, no, that's an interesting, yeah, interesting point. I often quote the hourglass quote to people who are getting into creative work and audio work. Uh, you know, the idea being, yeah, you listen to great things, which is why when they do this, it would be ridiculous if you could just do it right out of the gate. But it's interesting you turning it on its head and this idea when you become more uh, skilled and then you have to go back in here when you weren't. And yeah, I mean, that that's part of it. I mean, this show, I feel like um, skill-wise, I was consistent and my producers were all top-notch. Yeah, but I do feel like it, my, my actual character, like, you know, the, there is an arc to the season a little bit and starting off in this position of like show ended, relationship ended this had this cockamamie idea to make this podcast where I travel to places and try to get invited to dinner parties. And now after now making eight of them, you know, I've developed a lot. And so what makes me not cringe, but it's just that, you know, it's like looking at pictures of yourself with a different haircut from five years ago or writing the poetry you wrote after a breakup compared to poetry you're writing when you're in a different space in your life. It's, it's not like skill as much as it's just like, Oh, that's awkward. I don't know if I want to return to that. Placed yeah. or hang out with that character. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. And that's what I meant too. I mean, in in my case, definitely skill. Not that there's much skill to the way I do this, but 
just in terms of how different exactly like you said how different you are looking back at an old version of yourself and the the show you know i should say for for everyone listening here that they should stop listening to this immediately and and go listen to it it's so well produced (laughs) so entertaining and and incredible nothing to cringe about at all i hope i didn't allude to that i just mean i can imagine thinking about who i was prior to the pandemic and now that just feels like a different world after a, a transition we we change so much it's such a potent time for for growth and and change and I, I see a big theme of this show as transitions and it's something we talk about here quite a bit which I didn't plan but I'm often asking what I'm curious about and it's this show is a reflection of of where I am in terms of what I'm asking and and who I'm choosing as the guests. And, you know, I think also just the human experience involves a lot of transitions. They're inevitable that will move through jarring relationships ending and beginning and careers ending and beginning. And these pivotal moments that that come up for us are so prime, like you're saying, to grow and learn from because I think we're so present and open during those times, which I connect a lot to traveling, which is another time that's really fertile for growth because we're more present, because we're in an unfamiliar place. And I would love to you know, just hear a little bit more about the timeline of this for you. And can you talk a little bit about where you were when you got the idea for this? Yeah. I'm trying to think, you know, there is a little bit of, uh, you know, magic, like, you know, I, I'm trying to think, uh, you know, how, how granular to get, I could tell like the nerdy nuts and bolts story of like how this idea came to pass or the kind of more personal kind of origin of it. I, I'll try to synthesize it and keep it compelling and medium length, which is so basically, um, you know, I was a broadcast journalist. I had this culture show that was started as a podcast and became a distributed radio show where I interviewed celebrities and did food stuff before that was all over the world. Um, and so I was doing that, but I always loved travel. And um, had, when, when I was very young, like dropped out of college and lived in a van and had a big Jack Kerouac kind of fixation and, and uh, you know, lived in Olympia, Washington and South Dakota and Charleston and then Europe and Prague and Slovenia and all these places. And at different times would make money like writing travel guides and also uh reporting stories and um at one point had a travel column for cnn there were the website weirdly called the state i'm in where i would write these little vignettes about places i went every couple weeks and my favorite part was writing about my experience in say phoenix arizona which is different than a travel guide to phoenix arizona and that was always a tension between my editor and i was like we need news you can use. Like where, what restaurants should people go to and what sites should they see? Whereas I would talk about more like what it felt like to be there. So I had this kind of always this kind of interest in travel and, and, and had done some work in that realm. But my identity became more, I loved audio and, and radio and I was doing all that. And so that was my life. And then, yeah, my radio, my podcast radio show, which was owned by American Public Media, which was an NPR-ish, is an NPR-ish kind of company. Um, you know, they decided they were like, Hey, we, you know, do you guys, we, we no longer want it. We're going to try to sell your show or you guys want to buy it from us. 
but you know, they basically were ending the show. It was like, but you guys can have it if you pay for it or find another home for it. And at that point, I'd been doing it for over a decade with my co-host, Rico Galliano. We had written a book and, you know, it was a fun show, but it was color by numbers. It was like, we did the same, you know, since it was on radio, we had to make it a tight 54 minutes. We made 41 a year. And it was really like, just not a lot of flexibility within the, it wasn't very elastic within the, the, the program. You know, it was also broadcast nationally and had to be journalistically, it had, it couldn't have opinions in it. It couldn't have bad words in it. You know, it just had all the kind of FCC stuff as well. Anyway, it's all to say, we were like, you know what? this is we're done like let's we're not going to keep this patient alive like if you know we we decided that was a good time to end it anyway and so you know we were forced to an ending but the denouement was had to come to pass anyway maybe like some people's relationships we were just like we we were better than that We, we were going from strength to strength but when it was like finally when the rubber met the road we were like you know what we we did we took this as far as we could and so that ended and yeah it was a bit of a uh, by the way, am I answering? Is this yeah, the direction? This is great. Yeah, yeah okay. it sounds like it was a real natural progression, and I was I was curious about that. Yeah, so that show ended, and um, you know, I'd always wanted. Yeah, I might the people I admire the writers like Jeff Dyer, obviously, you know, Joan Didion, who did less travel but would do these kind of more you know subjective essays. Um, MFK Fisher, you know, the writers and the, and the people I loved. Um, just like, I don't know, I, I knew I wanted to write more and wanted to do something a little more subjective. I wanted a little more me in whatever I did next. But I also, you know, I'm not independently wealthy. And so I needed to make a living. And that's the trick with journalism pre-podcast was you had to keep yourself out of it. You had to be objective. And, you know, then you could get hired again to be, because how can you report on the, you know, the, the thinking was, and still is in some schools, like, yeah, you don't, you, you got to be neutral. Um, and I wanted to be human and, and I, I think I wanted to be more, I'm more of a romantic than a pragmatist, but I was trying to strike that balance. And so when my show ended, I was like, I got to give myself a shot to do something that's more open to who I am and podcasting, which was then in a first, second stage of maturation was, was, a you know, the place that where I could do it, it was a canvas. And so those are all in the background, those thoughts. And then, yeah. So, I've, and then there was just the other part of me is a really deep listener to podcasts and audio and broadcast journalism and all over the world. And I was like, why isn't there a good travel show? The most travel shows aren't, there are no feet on the ground. You never hear people walking. You never hear an Uber driver. It's usually a conversation. It's a chat, even travels with Rick Steves. He talks to someone in Rome while he's in Seattle and I was I thought there was an opportunity there to actually be on the ground and moving. And I wanted that. So I wanted some subjectivity. I wanted some like actual on the ground sound. And I'm an extrovert. And, and I'm the one thing I learned after doing a decade of my show before was I know how to talk to people. I have, you know, I'm socially confident. I can feel like I can draw people out and get what I need and have the double consciousness of an interviewer, which is having a conversation, but also clocking what I'm hearing from that person and organizing it in my head about how I'm going to edit it later. And I took all those, yeah, all that stuff. And I started working up a pitch about, all right, I'm going to travel. I'm going to go to places and I'm going to talk to people. I feel like I'm not, I can't see you right now. So this is where I would organically pause to see if you have a follow-up or I could just keep prattling on. No, this is great. <laughs> and I I mean, that's what I, I gathered from, from this, you know, it was 
it feels like the format of a personal essay where there's themes and threads in each of these segments of each of these episodes, which, you know, I want to, I want to pull on the threads a little bit, but they're, you know, you talk about loneliness and vulnerability and finding a home and all of these things that so many of us are contemplating. And I, I think podcasting is such a welcomed phenomenon and especially post pandemic or wherever we are with the pandemic right now, hearing a, like you said, feet on the ground travel show is quite comforting and entertaining because a lot of the, I mean, I love an interview as much as the next guy. A lot of the narrative shows are not at not culture, right? Like they're not, Mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're, of course, there's a lot of true crime, or there's a lot of there's like there's cult, there, there, there's a what true con cult. There's like yeah. con artist shows, cult shows, sure. true crime shows. Yeah, but I think for people like us, like who are are as you said, romantics, and this really scratches an itch that's in a different format. Topically, what we like out of a lot of the interview shows we listen to, so they're culture shows, and I. I, I really like that about it. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I'm proudest of the texts I've received or the comments I've received from my colleagues in audio who were like, you, you know, like, like, congratulate, you know, like you've done something I've wanted, I've wanted to hear for a while and I did not do or I didn't have the opportunity to do it. And that feels the greatest to me. Uh, and I think it is like physically being on the ground, it's sound rich as they call it in the business, a lot of scene tape. Like we go places, we text, you can feel the texture of the places. I'm picking places to go based on the audio component. Uh, in a recent episode, we stumbled across a field of elephant seals. Um, and that didn't happen by mistake. It's just, I knew that yeah, I can, you can't, you can tell people that a beach is beautiful. And that's one thing. Okay. You don't have, you know, it's weird to do a travel show in audio. Like you don't get to see the grandeur, you know, you don't get to just see the Amalfi coast or, uh, you know, New Orleans at night, but you know, you can hear an elephant seal, you can hear them lolling about, you can talk. And then that makes the end. Then you can hear the waves crashing and then you have some texture. And so, um, yeah, I was really, uh, intent on, on trying to make it sonically rich because I do feel like culture shows that you were saying, like, kind of get short shrift and it, the reality is it's just because it's very it is really expensive to do what i did like i i feel like i snuck this in <laughs> because i had a little bit of podcast capital from having had my radio show like people knew my name and they were looking for ideas and i feel like podcasting then was still taking more risks that's back when heavyweight came out with jonathan goldstein the great show mystery show with starley klein you know great shows that probably wouldn't get greenlit now, honestly, sadly. Yeah. And I was able to bummer. sneak it under the wire. Yeah. I'm so glad you did. And I, I ran into a friend last night and I was listening and preparing for this and I was explaining it to him. And I said, I was like, yeah, it's actually quite visual. Like I was describing, there's this episode where you go to Portland, Maine and you're talking to, this is one of my favorite parts. A, I know that he was wearing a corduroy mustard colored jacket and he had yeah one earring and I can describe what he looked like. And I have a picture of him in my mind and they say, you know, show, show, don't tell, right. Don't talk about it, be about it. Right. And and you do that so well. And I said to my friend, I was like, it's actually quite visual. Like it's a travel show where that, cause you, other than the natural sound, which you obviously do, 
it becomes, like you said, very textured. Yeah. No, I'm glad you picked up. That was Steve Luttrell, the uh, former poet laureate of Portland, Maine. And, you know, I, yeah, that Danielle and I, my co-hosts for that episode are, are walking away and, you know, I knew that we needed to pencil him in because you know, I knew the listener was going to have just heard his voice. They would have heard the waves. We were at a light, you know, lighthouse. But, you know, Bernie Sanders with long hair, mustard colored jacket, earring, you know, had a twinkle in his eye. And and I think, you know, part of it was I was in some ways with much trying to do episodes where I didn't write at all. Like that, like the ideal, the dream for me would be have to have been done an episode without any exposition. And so every word that did make it through was really earned, earned its keep. Uh, and so I had to be really yeah, accurate and, and clean. Uh, and so I'm glad that it registered. And I think, yeah, I think if you're sparing with your words and then the other thing to consider, I considered is rhythmically, you know, you hear his voice, this main accent, which almost sounds like a Brooklyn accent. And then you hear my friend Danielle's voice, which is obviously feminine and different. You hear my, like if you have them coming at different rhythms, then you can also get away with talking more because you're not just hearing like you are now me gabbing, you're, you know, and anyway, so it can land kind of writing differently when you have it said into other people's voices. So yeah, it, it, that was the trick was trying to make it feel like a travel log, even though, yeah, you're, you're, you're not using your eyes. Yeah. And there's something about memory too. Like with, with travel, I often think about it in nostalgia and, and yeah, yeah. No, I do think, I mean, what you're saying makes, that's exactly was my part of my premise was there is an ineffable, I mean, yes, going places, you get more serendipity, spontaneity and sound that you can't fake or you can though, actually a little bit, to some extent, but I do think there's an ineffable quality to actually being places that lends itself to the writing and to the experience of the reader or the listener, um, you know, that, yeah, it's just makes it, yeah, it's nonfiction and it's richer for it. And there's just more, it's just, uh, it's just richer inevitably because you, yeah, you've been there in the presence with another human or an actual another spot or a site. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to, take everyone around the world with us. Like I went with you in my pocket this weekend listening. And I, I want to go through a few of moments that stood out for me like that. And, in each of these episodes and, and start in Montreal, but to before you were saying you could do it granular or you could tell me overarchingly, I guess I am curious. So was just the Montreal episode, the one that was recorded before the pandemic and how did that affect, were you like mid project with this when that all started? And then were you uncertain of when you would get to pick this up again or did you hold releasing it? Yeah. So actually all the episodes you've heard so far were recorded before the pandemic. Wow. And I am now finishing the, the, the there's eight episodes season 1 and I'm finishing the last two or have been made after the pandemic. And so the Montreal episode was the very first one which was also the pilot I made and then So that was once, 2019? That was 2019. Yeah, beginning of 2019. Wild. And then 20, the end of 2019 was when I started the cycle of like Portland and then we went to Bozeman, no, Bozeman, Portland, 
and then we were supposed to travel. There's lots of other stuff in the show, but then we ended up going to New Orleans and then Mexico City and then Vegas was the last episode. It was February. My producer had a cough. We were like, ha, like there was actually raw tape, which I didn't use of my co-host at the time, at the at that episode, Luke Burbank saying, I wonder if Bart has that, you know, virus. Like, like we didn't even, weren't even, the world hadn't been taken, wasn't taking it seriously. Oh, yeah. And I had a whole trip booked for March in Kansas City. I had the producer lined up. My, I was actually going to take this ex-girlfriend on that episode. I was just trying to make situations even more uncomfortable or, or vulnerable. And, um, and she, not ex-girlfriend, it was just someone I dated very cool. Um, and then she texted me like, Hey, I don't want to be alarmist, but I think this is serious. And maybe we should rethink going. And I, in my mind as a producer, I'm like, we bought plane tickets. We booked an Airbnb. Like I've lined up con- like, and I have to finish this show. Like, what are you talking about? My whole plan was to get it delivered. And then I was going to deliver it by the beginning of summer, take the summer off, go to Europe. Cause I hadn't really had a proper vacation. And my mother's family's from Croatia and we, there's a, we have a tiny little apartment on a tiny little island there. And I was like, I'm just going to go like, because it was so much work making the show. I was just going to unwind and then come back in the fall, release the show, see what the world had in store for me, whether like I could grab and I could do more of them or not. And then I would get a square gig. Well, all that was upended. And yeah, COVID came when I had only completed six episodes and that was it. Like the music stops, like we couldn't travel. The concept was even tough. The production company, like people were, you know, was like, they sent their employees home for a while and that was it. And um, yeah, I didn't know what would become of it. And it was pretty much like I was in a holding pattern because of travel being restricted. And during that time, I'd been offered a job at Pushkin Industries, the podcast company before, because um, I was on a panel and met the, uh, Jacob Weisberg, the CEO. And I was like, no, no, I'm doing this thing I love. Like, I, I, you know, maybe I'll talk to you on the other side of it. But then they came back to me again and they're like, look, you don't have to work full time with us. Like, you, you know, we just would love your input on this one project. And I was like, you know what? Full time. This is like April. I'm like, that doesn't seem so bad because I knew that the wheels were going to be up for a bit. And I took this job, a pretty senior job there and started, you know, hiring people and making, you know, I made, a, I made we made like half a dozen, eight audio books, but they're like audio originals. And then I was like, the sh- I, I told them when they hired me, I was like, I have this show and there may come a time where I have to finish it and I need to do it. And so I got a carve out of my contract that I could finish the show. And then ultimately over the next couple of years, I got, you know, they bought it from me and they were like, we'll put it out. And so it was a great outcome because I think Pushkin is the ideal home for it. Um, and so then that I had this challenge because I have a full-time job and, but I had to go out and finish these last two episodes and that's what I've done. Wow. Wow. Real twist in the plan. And I'm so happy that it ended up being able to exist in this way. It's wild. Yeah. But that is what I was alluding to earlier. Like, I feel like I could have, like I have, when I was younger, I played in bands, but I, I was always, I was, I was always just a little bit, um, you know, I couldn't really own it. Like I had other interests. I felt like it was a phase in life, not a real project I could throw myself into. And so I have dozens of songs I've never released. And I recorded them to some degree, like at pretty nice studios at now and again. And I remember thinking like, you can't let this happen with this show. Like, you worked so hard on these episodes. Your team worked so hard on these episodes. Don't 
because it could have been easy just to be like, I can't do it. I'm at a different stage of my life. And thank you very much. But I know I was like, we got to, we got to, I got to, I can't let this happen again. Like I kind of see this through. And so I think I willed it and politicked, but also it was, it made natural sense for Pushkin to do it when they finally did decide to do it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's something, unfortunately, that with projects, it happens so much where you where one half does something and gets distracted by twists in our plans or really great ones or, you know, things we actively were a participant in putting in into our space that we needed or a full-time job or whatever. And the project gets put to the side or forgotten about. And it's really cool that that didn't happen to this and important. You know, I'd written a bunch of songs before, performed, had my own show, which is more of a journalism show. So I didn't, like, although I created it and my wit and energy was in it, it felt a little bit less like uh, a piece of work that I'd, like, made. And um, and I've been a critic and reviewed things. And I will say never has it, has it been clear to me the idea of, like, if someone just finishes something, like, that alone is commendable and, and it's like your podcast like the fact that you've done this consistently and fed your audience and cultivated and when there are all these changes in your life and other weeks you didn't want to do it or times where other things like showing up and completing is i mean it's it's huge and so now i'm kinder even when i watch movies or tv shows or something and i think they're not great i'm like but god bless them for like <laughs> Having figured out a way to land this plane, even if I don't like where it landed or what it looks like, it's like, yeah. you know, it's not easy. It's it's a lot of, there's so many, there's so many ways that things can get derailed. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's the really challenging part of anything that you do with consistency. And you alluded to this with the dinner party download where unlike this show, where it's a capsule of, you know, every second is really calculated and thought out the, both the benefit and the bummer of feeding a weekly beast is I, and I remember when I studied abroad in Portugal and we went to this newspaper that had won all these design awards and the, the person leading the newspaper tour was like, look, you know, we won all these awards because we do a daily publication. So you get a big sample size when you're putting something out every single day it forces you to be creative and you're of course going to get a couple that are good, you know? And I think mm. the other end of that, and I think about that with this too, it's like, I feel really great and proud of every like eighth one of these, you know? And it's tough when someone chooses one of the ones in between the eight, you know, to, to, yeah. to try to listen to because, you know, so anyway, it's, there's, pros and cons to both and it's it's something that you have to 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 work through and i think it's a a creative constraint in a way as much as it's a positive yeah well that's the thing but that's but i mean there is the with endless time and endless resources something could be perfect you know um, yeah in theory and but that's not the world that most people live in and so the idea you know and that is the idea of progress over perfect it's like well but yeah. So figuring yeah. out, you know, being perfectly enough, trying to get it as close as possible, but also recognizing the realities and, and, and landing it. And perfect is so uninteresting. I mean, I think this is a good way to talk about Montreal because how vulnerability is a main theme 
I think each of these cities that you visit and each of these episodes has quite a few different threads and themes, but there's sort of one main one. And talking so vulnerably in this episode, setting the stage for what was going to unfold over the next several was very alluring as a pilot episode. And, you know, th- this show's called Let It Out, and it's about letting out what we call soft stories. So the tender stories, the things you don't say in an interview or on a first date, but like the 2 a.m. conversations, right? And like the campfire stories, which there's so many of those in this. And you share a really vulnerable story while camping in Bozeman and and Danielle, who is such an incredible part of the show as your travel partner and your friend. And she's really incredible and one of my favorite parts of this, but she vulnerably shares in this episode about where she is after her divorce and that she's lost her confidence. And she really opens up and, and she's so raw and vulnerable. And I think my favorite part of this episode and maybe honestly of the series as a whole that I've listened to so far that's been released so far was Danielle and you leave each other for the first time during your trip. And Danielle, we should mention is your friend who is traveling with you and she goes to get a massage and you go to see Leonard Cohen's house, I think. And She's having a conversation with her masseuse about touch. And I want to read a little bit of that to set this up because, you know, I think in a post COVID world, touch is something that I've been thinking about a lot and connection. And connection is such a thread in this show as well. And, well, I'll just read this and then I'd love to get into it a little bit with you. So, Danielle's talking to her masseuse and she's talking during a massage, which I never do. And apparently I may be missing out because there's this really beautiful moment. So this is what Danielle says. It's kind of strange to realize how powerful and healing touch can be because I don't, I don't date. I don't kind of like engage in that way anymore. (laughs) And so I was alone for 13 years after my divorce. And I met, I met someone. What I came to understand about myself is what stops me from dating is how well can I hide my wounds. Right. So my you know, current partner and I, we decided our, our, the philosophy of our relationship is no masks, full disclosure. So I think it's about really deciding to have, to have that level of honesty within yourself and the trusting. But when you've had trauma, trust is so fragile. Yeah. I really loved that bit. And it's funny when you hear masks now and <laughs> you think COVID, which is interesting, but it it just was a bit that really landed with me. And like I said, I, I was thinking so much about touch where I had this breakup in 2019 and I kind of be I was living in New York and I kind of became addicted to going to the really cheap massage places like on my street in in lower Manhattan. And I would go all the time and I had a punch card and it was a real delight. And then I was traveling and the first place I went was Bali where it's kind of like the land of massages and I was getting so many. And then next thing I knew I was here and didn't touch anyone for months, you know? And so it was a really interesting 
phenomenon. So that was percolating in my mind. And then, you know, it was so beautiful what she said about hiding wounds, which essentially to me is talking about intimacy, which I see as, you know, seeing someone and letting them see you and all the parts of you. And I feel like I both want that and fear that in equal measure. And in talking about vulnerability, intimacy or creating some sense of intimacy, whether it's in this show and in these conversations with people or in relationships, it's it's such a necessity. And you obviously write and produce this show and decided to use that bit of audio. So I'm assuming it landed with you as well, but I'm, I'd love to know how you relate to that. And if that, that part was moving for you as well. Yeah. I mean, first I just want to give my due to Danielle Henderson, who uh, is my friend and um, is a, she, you know, is a writer. She has a podcast too, but she, she writes for, she was writing then when you were working as mostly for tell like for, you know, for TV shows. Um, but she also has a memoir, which has subsequently come out called The Ugly Cry, which is just fantastic. That Montreal episode, like, yeah, part of the brief was that we were going to be open, you know, that we were, and we've read genuinely, you know, she and I have spent hours and hours together in all sorts of <laughs> scenarios. So, you know, we had a comfort with one another, but, you know, I knew the show um, needed to have, I wanted to have heart and be open. And, um, and she was game for that. And then the producer of that episode and a couple other episodes, Krista Duhame, who's brilliant, she had a show called Love Me, uh, which I recommend uh, on the CBC. It did, they did two or three seasons. And it's just really beautiful. And it's all about Love Me, well, what that phrase calls to mind. Uh, and so I feel like, especially the pilot was a real collision of the kind of my columns and dinner party download and love me and, and Danielle. And I think it culminated in that vignette with, with which her, her there and then me going to Leonard Cohen's house and just a couple more and then I'll get to the heart of the matter. But, uh, also that masseuse, like we didn't plan that. We didn't pre-interview that person. We didn't know. They just, so that woman was just incredible. Like she was wise and benefit to Danielle uh, for being the type of person that could get that out of someone. Like Danielle gave a little, as you heard, and then that woman opened up, you know what I mean? And then both people in that space were being vulnerable. And that gave me, voted well for the show that we were able to get, you know, at a very brief period of time, win the trust of people to share their real things, like their wisdom about the mask or acknowledging their divorce. And I think that's a thing that most in life one can carry but I've definitely learned as a host or journalist, it's like, you got to give to get. And you sh if you are open and true, like, yes, you can get hurt or people can shut you down, but you're also more likely, that's the quickest path to getting someone else to be the same way toward you, professional, you know? And that's what happened there. You know, we just, uh, we were only in these places for two or three days. We had to hope things worked. And, you know, we did leave some things on the cutting room floor, but we didn't have a lot of fat. So, the fact that people opened up was just, was, was great. Now, as far as like the wisdom in, in that conversation, I'm surprised. I was surprised to learn while making the show, how emotionally reticent I am. Cause I do feel like I wear my heart in my sleep a lot. I feel like I love talking about emotions. I definitely identify, you know, love therapy. Um, but man, like being with 
Danielle and her comfort communicating where she's at and, and the wisdom she's gained from the work she's done on herself really like made me up my game on some level or try to press further. Um, and so that exchange, like I, you know, I'd never really been where she was like in my life. Um, I was kind of a serial monogamist. And so there weren't long stretches of time without human touch. You know, I think there were stretches of time with, you know, not necessarily loving touches or like, you know, warmth, you know, there, but, but, you know, I, I feel like I had a different, you know, kind of different path in romance and, and relationships where went from lily pad, like monkey branch to monkey branch or branch to branch or lily pad to lily pad or however one wants to look at it. Um, but I do think, yeah, that the getting the wisdom of being older, my, my friend described this show uh, as not lost. She described it in a lot of ways, but the one line she said, which I loved is it's a coming of middle age story. And, you know, Danielle and I are both coming to middle age when the story is happening and she has a divorce behind her and I have some big relationships behind me. And I think one of the greatest things, you know, even if you're not predisposed towards doing self-work or you're not predisposed towards um, opening up, like you just, when you get, there is something about just putting down miles <laughs> and being with people and then ramming your head against the wall so many times that you do start to realize the value of being honest and, and speaking what your needs are that no mass point I'm thinking about in particular of just like in a relationship, you know, like you're like, I done, I, I remember what it felt like before when I wasn't getting what I needed. And so, you know, even if it's uncomfortable, I'm going to be clearer. Um, and I think that is a rewarding part of, of getting older, at least in my experience. And so, you know, that hearing that from that woman and, and Danielle and then us editing it and keeping it in, I think was part of that part of our story. So we've been talking so much about focus on the show recently, and I have a product that I love so much. It's this little green drink that I take with me everywhere, and it's really improved my mornings and helped me to focus and given me a bit of an energy boost that I really, really love. I've given it to friends and they love it too. It makes me really happy. My friend Zoe took it right before she was giving a big presentation. It doesn't give you the jitters like coffee does. And it has just so many great things in it, like ashwagandha that helps with stress and so many adaptogens. And it tastes really great, which is maybe my favorite part. I feel like you will like it too, if you're like me and have to be in charge of your own schedule and crave more focus and more energy it's truly incredible. And like I said, if you're like me, I think you'll really like it. So check them out at magicmind.co slash let it out. And you can join a community of go-getters. You can use my discount code, which is let it out 20 to get 40% off your first subscription or 20% off your first one-time purchase. My 40% off code only lasts up to 10 days. So hurry and do that soon. I really think you'll love it and I'm excited to hear what you think. I've been loving it. I was going to ask you the the next thing I wrote down was if her vulnerability and openness Danielle's opened you up a little bit or if you were always like that and and you covered that which was like yes and yes and in that same episode 
related to that, you're, you and Danielle are having dinner with a comedian friend of yours. And she makes the point about vulnerability of feeling like she's too vulnerable and too open, which I also identified with a bit. Where are you with that and finding, you know, the middle ground between too much and not enough? Yeah. I think I'm, I think I'm tricky because I think that I would, I think most people would say, and I think I would say my first response is I'm too open. Like, like I, I love therapy. I'll talk about it all the time. I love, I read, I mean, it's just like, I'm interested in minds and hearts and read, you know, tons of books about it and think about it and listen to podcasts about it. And, and it's just, uh, I'm very, I love the human condition and I love the messy parts and, and I, I'm really committed to self-evolution and trying to understand myself and have empathy for myself. And so I do feel like I, I'm comfortable in those spaces. And I think in that scene with Trana and um, Danielle at dinner, at the end, they were both like, I don't really want to do vulnerable. Like, I'm not ready for that. Anymore. You know, I don't want that anymore. And I was like, I, I, I do. Like, like I, 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 you know, I, I was openly saying, like, I need, I want to be with someone. You know, I'm okay with that. Like, I, I wasn't, but I hadn't been so wounded by the war. You know, I feel like we just spent different experiences. So I feel like I'm very comfortable. My instinct would be I read as and feel like I am and present as someone who's comfortable talking to their emotions and has done some work and wants to really get into it, maybe even too much. But I will say with the asterisk of, I think I've learned. And I think that that also like, I have blocks and I think it's even, you can hear it on the show where I, you know, the show is called not lost, but I am like, I, I, I am a little lost. Like I, like I am, Danielle is able to access where she is. She can talk about processing her divorce and the, the, uh, the liminal space she finds herself in and her ambivalence towards touch. And I'm just so sure of where I'm at. And I'm so, you know, or, or, you know, I'll tell, I'm looking for a partner. I, you know, this relationship ended and, but I'm not really, my, my takes on myself, at least back then are not as nuanced as hers, I think, which would indicate, you know, I have, you don't know I'm comfortable in those spaces. I maybe haven't solved cracked the case yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, you know, just because like, I love watching tennis, I play tennis. I'm not great at tennis. Like I'm, I can return the ball. I would love to be great at tennis as great as I can get as I'm older and have the time to dedicate to it. But if you saw me, you might be like, wow, that guy looks like a tennis player. And and I technically I am, but I do feel like a a bit of an imposter. Like I don't, I feel like I'm very comfortable in those spaces, but I don't think I'm great at vulnerability yet. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah. I I remember you saying in that episode and the two of them really had their take. And then you were like, oh, I actually really, I want cuddling and and making breakfast. And and the juxtaposition of same with vulnerability of, of wanting those two things, it, it made me think, and I'm curious what you think of this. Like, do you think everyone deep down does want that, but maybe they're just afraid of rejection that's inevitable in the process to getting that or getting that and losing that, which we all 
which is part of it for both. And so they'll just settle or get used to or get comfortable with or truly be content, as they were saying, with not wanting it anymore. Or is it just too painful to admit? And, you know, I think that leads to like, what are your thoughts on that in terms of loneliness? Because I think it also is really about loneliness. It's admitting loneliness or our desire for connection, another way to say that. Because I think at the core of this show, it's really all about connection to ourselves, to friends, to strangers, to the world, to nature. Yeah, I mean, I'm a couple of ways to answer, but one is, yeah, I, I, you know, the human can, you know, condition is so complex that I'm, I'm loath to kind of set some parameters for like what people, you know, what I think people need or what I think that is like is hiding behind them. Although, you know, they're reader, they're authors I love, thinkers I admire. And I have my kind of framework of understanding, which I use in shorthand. But I will say, like, in that scene and what we do in most of those episodes, that's the beauty of, of what I'm trying to do or what I love in, in the things I read or watch is I everyone's take is there and they're all valid. You know, there's Danielle's take. I don't I don't need that anymore. And you can hear her tone of voice. You can make your judgment on where she really resides with that thought. And then there's my take. You hear me being you're like, oh, I, I know I do. And then you hear Trana, I don't do vulnerability And uh, at that point. And so I do like having it just all there. And yes, I edited it and we put it together. But I, you know, I think it's more on it. The more complex it is, the more, you know, the, the more honest it is. Um, I would say for me, I would say that the other overlay is timing. Like I believe for loneliness, and togetherness, in my experience, I have found that there are times when I was together when I shouldn't have been with people. I don't know if you, I would have believed that yeah, I needed to be alone or needed to under, you know, there are lessons I could only have figured out had I not been by myself. I don't think when I was doing my big batch of serial monogamy in my 20s and 30s, I bought all that. But I believe in that now for me that, yes, there's... There's a time for being alone and there's knowledge that can be gained by being alone. And maybe some for some people, that's just where their journey will reside. But I do also, by the nature of the show, would indicate in my career is I crave connection and I vibe on connection. Uh, I'm the son of a social worker. <laughs> my mother, like, I, I feel like I would, I would do, I was just thinking about this the other day. We would go to like, the supermarket it was all she was she worked at the school system near mine and all the toughest kids would like come toward us and i was like you know oh my god what's gonna happen we're gonna get beat up like because i was this asthmatic like blue kid and like this you know mean metalhead would come up and she'd be like hello steve like they all they're like Lomus, like they all knew my mother like my mother is very comfortable she you know she i guess what i guess i'm trying to say is she cared for people and and dealt with a lot of tough characters and knew that they needed something that they weren't able to ask for. She would not hesitate in saying, like, people need to be loved, people need to be hugged, people need that connection. I wouldn't go so far as to say that, but I think for me, I know that at the end of the day, yes, like, I feel like there's a lot of my journey on the planet. And for a lot of people, there's a lot to gain by being together. Uh, and, and, and I feel like you can feel the full spectrum of being a human 
weirdly be together, but also there are seasons to be alone. Yeah. I think solitude is really important and that's different than loneliness. I think you can be lonely while surrounded by people or in a relationship I have been, but there's also a need for, for solitude. And then there's a need for connection. And the piece that is, is heavy about this conversation and in that moment in that I brought up is talking about trauma. You know, I think there's a level of, and you're kind of alluding to that too. There's a level of being open to wanting to get in there and it's vulnerable and emotional and and connecting and relationships are mirrors and they bring up so much stuff and they require so much of us. And sometimes we just might not have the capacity to do that or like want to open Mm -hmm. that can of worms and, or be able to, and so many people are in that place and it's a real privilege to, to want to get in there and be in the mess of it all. And I think it's worthwhile. And I hope everyone feels like they have the capacity to, it's so cheesy, but open up or yeah, be open to that. And at the same time, it's okay if you don't, and it might be out of our control and it might be, yeah. So I think my, my question is flawed in the sense of like, it's a very complex question and it's something that is changing and maybe cyclical and has to do with a lot of outside factors outside of our control. Yeah. Well, I think what to like, you know, I think what's interesting about that episode and the show is like, you can, you know, at, in the massage scene, that another beat in that story when Danielle is with the masseuse is she talks about her mother abandoning her when she was uh, right. a child and how she was raised by her grandmother. So one of my, my big trauma is that my mom left. She she dropped us off at my grandparents' house for a weekend and then never came back. And the person who's supposed to love you unconditionally leaves and that will mess you up. Well, because you're gonna you're always asking yourself, what did I do wrong? Right. And will I do something wrong again? Like, yeah. But what will I do to make someone leave because the assumption is that somebody will always leave. This show wasn't put together in a writer's room. Um, it was, we went, we run and gun, we, you know, we, we did, you know, know who we wanted to talk to in kind of a vague outline, but we went and recorded the tape, brought it home, went through it, dealt with what we had and wrote it and connected it with writing if necessary. Um, so it's not like we were crafting Daniel's story, but I think in that episode, you have that beat. Her mother, her mother abandoned her. Um, you have her talking about touch and how since and you know when she was divorced and how she hasn't really had touch in a certain way uh, in a while. And now and then you have this beat that you're just talking about where we're in a restaurant, we're chatting casually over drinks. I'm casually, we're getting into it. It's been the, we've been there for a while. And she talks about like, I don't, I don't, you know, I think she says at that point, like, I don't need, I can, I'll be fine. She, I think she says, she's like, I'm fine, except when I want to get laid. You know, like, I don't, yeah. like, I, I, like, that's what I, you know, that's what's frustrating. But other than that, I'm fine. I, and so I think all of it is there and one can, you know, I think all those things are true. And I think one can interpret what they want. Like, oh, when she says, I'm fine, is that defensiveness because you've abandoned? I don't know. 
You know, is it because, you know, she's taking a break from a divorce? I don't know. Is it because she's going to bounce before someone else? Like, is she, she's not going to get let down by anyone because she's not going to let them in. I don't know, you know, but I think that's, what's the beautiful thing about making this as opposed to having a show where I have to organize people's thoughts or have, you know, radio breaks and beats is that I get to just include it all and, and have it. And then other people will interact with it with their own experiences and, and help organize. They'll, the, the listener will organize it their own way when they listen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's evident through, so many of the episodes and, and the premise as a whole requires a level of intimacy. You know, I think that the Mexico City episode's a good example of this because the a whole trope of the show is you getting invited to a stranger's for a dinner party. And while traveling, like I was saying, there's this level of presence that you have because it's unfamiliar and forces us to experience and pay attention to things in a different way than we would in our our day-to-day lives. But it also makes us more likely to talk to strangers or at least not be annoyed when someone says hi to you and you're trying to send a text, but you're excited to put your phone down and, and have a conversation with someone, which you can do anywhere. And that's really what one of the things that I took away from this is having that intrepid sort of way of being that I'm more likely to have outside of my neighborhood here. And so much of that is allowing things to unfold and not rushing, not being in a hurry. And you can feel that, like you were saying, of how you allowed things to unfold in these episodes. And in terms of vulnerability, what you're asking in intimacy, you know, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what's going through your head when you're asking people the vulnerable bit after having a conversation with a stranger, you'll have all these very casual conversations with, with strangers in all of the episodes, people that you meet. And then there's this little awkward bit where there's an opportunity for rejection, you know, kind of related in a in a smaller work related way to what we were talking about broadly, there's this moment that's putting yourself out there to be open to a rejection when you ask if you can come over for dinner and it's it also, you know, it reminded me so much of like you have a great conversation with a stranger and it's like, oh, is someone going to ask for someone's number here or are we just going to part ways? Like there it's it's awkward, yeah. it's real. It's <laughs> and then it's like I feel I felt like every time you were going to ask if you could come over after it it felt like that and it also it's not just about like maybe being rejected, it's also to me like the validity of this entire interaction that you had with this person. It's like, well, is it real? Like, was that nice or was that not nice? Cause you don't want to keep doing it, you know, which is not actually yeah, the yeah. same, but I think it can, it can be there. So yeah, it's such a vulnerable ask. So I'm, I'm curious how I'm sure it got, you got practiced at it, but how did it feel for you? Um, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's complicated. It's like, you know, there's like the show needed, like the other thing about having a travel show without visuals 
and without like it needed attention, you know, like, and the other thing about like, I didn't want to create a show where you look at the episodes, you're like Toronto. I don't, I don't want to, I don't care about Toronto. I don't need to listen to that one. Rome. I don't need to listen to that one. You know, like, like that's why the episodes also have names, they have titles, like they're just, they're like mini movies. And I wanted people to, even if you weren't there for the travel, which the show isn't super traveling, but it is. Um, sorry, the show is very traveling, but it's not like eat at this spot, stay at this hotel, travel. But I wanted, so I needed a kind of a, a, a vehicle for that, the tension that keeps people naturally listening to something. And so the one, you know, I decided upon was this because I read a book on dinner parties and the, you know, the, the dinner party. And I will say on the outside too, like I wrote a book, an anti-brunch book, Brunch is Hell, How to Save the World by Throwing a Dinner Party. And, you know, it's really a book about like listening to people and opening up your home, et cetera. But the fun part about that was like, you can be mad at brunch and no one gets hurt, right? It's like, who cares? You know, it's like brunch. You have to have a strong opinion about it because it really doesn't matter. It's not like politics. It's not, it's like brunch. And similarly, dinner parties for me are a bit silly in that they're like, let's have a dinner party. Well, that could be pizza. That could be, but it's more just like this notion of like, hey, I want to get closer to you. Like, because one of the rules that we set up in our dinner party book was it needs to be in someone's house. That's part of it. And it needs to be less than 25% of your family. So like, the, the, you know, there's parameter. It basically is it's like shorthand for, I really want to hang out with you. I don't just want to like, you know, uh, just like have small talk, you know, like let's, let's go a little further. And so it's fun, but it is, I don't know. I, now that in retrospect, like I'm a little, it feels it's, it's intimate. And I feel like it's a little awkward to ask, not just because it's awkward to ask, but it's also a little presumptuous. And like, look, the, we had microphones. They could Google search who I was. It wasn't like, I was just like completely in, in, you know, a city I'd never been like, you know, there was people, you could anticipate not everybody knew but it's like you know they if they let me back to their home they knew that i was a journalist that i wrote a book at dinner parties like it didn't come from nowhere and so i that softened the blow for me while making it and then also these edit these these moments are you're hearing six minutes of my conversation with uh trana well we had dinner with her for two hours you know and so it's different, you know, we were, you know, asking someone afterwards than it is, you know, if you just are hanging out with them for three minutes, like that is really weird. And so there are just some like the way the sausage is made as a, this really is a, it felt less, it was less stark to me because I was spending more time with them and they had, you know, they, they knew that there was like something, I was a journalist and they knew they've already right. subjected themselves to an interview with the microphone and my producer's there, my co-host is there. So, you know, that helped a little bit break the ice. Yeah. Well, I'll say this. Well done holding the tension to the listener because I think you captured what it would feel like, you know, if that if all of those Thank things you. weren't weren't the case. And in the farewell episode of dinner party download i it's fresh in my mind because i just listened to it but you you call your fans and it was it was so sweet and some of them were so sad it was ending it was really beautiful and i don't know if you remember this but what you said was one of them asked you like well what are you gonna do next and you say get invited to dinner parties rather than host them and you're doing it (laughs) i don't remember saying that oh man yeah that's funny yeah, I should listen to that. I, I mean, that's stuff that I can't listen to, which is just like I, I'm just a bird. I don't know. I'm just I need to be further away from it. 
to, to take a lesson, but sure. that's, that's sweet. That's an interesting yeah, direction. You said that exact thing. <laughs> that was really, really special and cool. Boy, did I ever. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I really loved that. Well, let's go to Bozeman because that was one of my, my favorite episodes. And another thing we share in common is our thoughts on practical clothing I live in, I do like a weirdly long walk every morning. And one of my friends said to me, she's like, you don't own like yoga pants or anything. I was like, no. And she's like, oh, I see. Okay. Your athleisure is just regular clothes, but dirty. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's what I'm working with. But anyway, so the, this entire episode was a really fun one. And it, it, your perspective in it really reminded me of, do you know, the, the lemon heads or the Evan Dando song. That's like, I think it's called the outdoor type. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know the lemon heads, but I don't know that song. Too scared to let you know you knew what you were looking for. A lot until I fit the bill. God bless the great indoors. I lied about being the outdoor type basically it's someone like you who's just like not into camping and trying to get out of it. And have you camped since? I, I loved that episode and how much fun Danielle was having. It was a really special one. And so now knowing that it was recorded pre-pandemic, I feel like the pandemic really changed a lot of people's relationship to camping, including mine. So I'm curious if your relationship to it has changed since. I have not gone camping <laughs> since that episode. No, nope. But hiking, I've come around to in a big, much bigger way. And the pandemic helped usher that along as it getting older. You know, I think I even say that in, in the Portland episode, because I'm interviewing this woman, Decca Delac, who is from Somalia and then moved her family to Portland. And her kids are, they're like skiing and hiking. And she's like, what are you doing? She's like, like she's just like not an outdoors type. Yeah, she and was like, great. I, yeah, she was awesome. She's now mayor of South Portland. Oh, so no way. That's great. Yeah. And uh, I was like, it was so nice to know that someone else considers hiking a walk to nowhere. But uh, so I've come around on hiking, but camping, no. And also, look, I'm, I moved back to the East Coast and I'm sorry. Like, I'm from here originally, so I can say it. Like, come on. Like, California, the grand, uh, Maine is dramatic, is beautiful, but the grandeur, of California and camping and outdoor, like that would maybe seduce me. Montana could maybe seduce me into sleeping in the woods, but upstate New York, I'm sorry. Like it's pretty, and, <laughs> but I don't know. But uh, yeah. no, I haven't done it since. I don't know if I need to. Like I did it. I did a bunch when I was younger. Well, now that you mentioned Portland, Maine, I want to visit and, and maybe move there now hearing that, especially that she's the mayor because she was such an incredible character. The theme of that episode, I, I also really liked, and, and you talk a lot about what you call plan B. And you said something towards the end that I really liked and I, I want to read, but you're talking about this city in the context that it's somewhere that you could see yourself living. And so this is what you say about plan B. Perhaps part of the reason travel is so intoxicating is that it allows us to fantasize about a different life. And in the case of me in Portland, it's a different life I really thought about leaving. But plan Bs, it seems, are like mirages. They disappear as you approach them. That doesn't mean they don't have a role. 
It can act as kind of release valves that lower the pressure on our actual lives. But it means that once you visit and you return home, you're left only with that actual life. Your plan A. I really loved that. And even as a kid, when we would be in a different city, I, I would find myself pretending in my brain that I lived there and fantasize about it. And I do that now as a as a grown up. But there's you articulated that so well. There's sort of this like I know too much. Like I know Santa isn't real when I I'm <laughs> in a place where the wind is taken out of my sails a little bit to be like, oh well, you don't live here. So <laughs> you know, you're going home. And I think that feeling is is something that is such a fun way to travel and integrate into a culture like you're doing here, but also sort of testing out a place. So was considering moving or finding a city that felt like home to you now that that work can be mobile for so many of us? I think a lot of people are, are considering that and the pandemic brought that up. But now knowing this was pre-pandemic, but was that... Yeah, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Back then more, but yeah, definitely. Like, my wanderlust comes honestly in that I just want to see, you know, want to see everything, experience everything, meet everything, check out everything. And a lot of that is just healthy curiosity and appetites that come naturally to me. But, you know, I think the other part of that is just kind of uh, based on you know, there's like an insecurity, there's an like, wait, an ambivalence about my actual, you know, present life and where I am. And, you know, the idea that the Mon Kandara book, uh, Life is Elsewhere. I mean, it's that feeling that I think a lot of uh, high school movies capture or books or small town or suburban town on we. It's like life's got to be going on somewhere else. And I've lived my life in mostly cities of like New York and LA and San Francisco and some other places. And I feel like I've been where people think you go to, to live the richest life. And yet, yeah, I'm always, or was, when the show started, definitely casing other places to see if there's a better scene or a better way to go about it. And I think part of that will always remain. I think as the season progresses and concludes, you'll see that there's a, a kind of an arc to it. Portland, I was the most forthright about that desire. because that, And that was true. It's like, I, I loved New England as a kid. I would go to Cape Cod and had this notion that Portland was like the right size that I could go there and work and breathe fresh air, but still go see bands and have, you know, the food there's great. I don't, honestly, I don't, Portland could have been perfect for me and I probably would have also left. Like, so that's the thing. It is a mirage. It is just, it is almost like a, it's a, it's a device to cope with, with life thinking that there are these other outlets. And then there is that kind of postpartum depression or, or whatever. After you go, you're like, wow, it's like romance in some romances, you know, you're like, Oh, okay. I thought, you know, I thought that was yeah. it. And that now this isn't it. And uh, now I'm just left with me and I'm brushing my teeth and, and yeah. <laughs> holy cow. And so, yeah, so I was definitely beta testing cities in some sense. Every time I went, I'd been to some of them, but yeah, Portland was, was the starkest. I'm like, I'm glad I had this time, but the, but the truth is, and I think I say it in that episode, it's also, it's timing. And I think there could be a time in my life where it would be just fine to be important for me, but not now, not on my, not then. And not when I was on my own. Yeah. Wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. It's uh, all cliches or, or truisms. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to talk about podcasting as a medium a little bit and radio in general, because you've been doing it for so long and, and seen so much change 
in the medium and the industry. I'd love to ask you an etiquette question. <laughs> you did those on your on your last show. Hearing about the ending of your of the dinner party download, you it really seemed, and you gave me a bit more context here of, of how that happened. You did it for 10 years. And then I think there's something about any sort of project of, of knowing when to quit or keeping it fresh. I'd love to hear, you know, what's your perspective on on podcasting right now? You know, there's obviously so many more popped up during the pandemic, but it also changed the way a lot of people listen of, you know, the driveway test is maybe not as relevant now when people aren't commuting or people want to go in and out and tune in and tune out of an episode more. There's so many different directions that you could take this, but I'm just really curious what your thoughts are on, you know, I think about this with this show a lot of it's not new, it's kind of plateaued. And I also see so many different trends. And I would love to hear your thoughts on the state of radio and podcasting right now. Yeah. God, this is, it's such a, yeah. It's, I love talking about this. This is what I would do on a Friday night over a bottle of wine with friends is talk about podcast. I love talking and thinking about well, it. Well, I'll have you over so, for a dinner party in, yes, please do. Um, in LA please do. to do this because I would love to too. Yeah. I mean, uh, God, I mean, on the one, I come from like a place of poverty when it comes to like when I grew up there was just NPR and to get a job there was impossible uh you need to know someone you need to be and if they didn't pay they weren't paying internships and you had to go to Wesleyan or Oberlin I don't know it just felt pretty impenetrable and I had my first job was fresh air at Terry Gross like because I lived in Philly no way yeah and I was just a research wow. assistant I didn't know what it was I in the newspaper oh looking for a research assistant I was traveling through Berlin when they emailed me back my hotmail account and I called them oh from the God. hotel. And I think that's the only reason I got the job. The producers were like, this guy's kind of cool and intrepid. Um, but <laughs> otherwise they probably would not. And, but after that, I took some time off doing other things. I, I just couldn't, it was just so hard to get work in audio. So my bottom line podcasting, I love because it has really opened up the floodgates and like uh, let, so many people's voices be heard and experiment and push the medium and tell stories and, you know, solve crimes and, and create communities and be silly. And I think it's that it's just awesome. And the other metaphor is, you know, there used to be three channels on television, then cable came and now there's a gazillion. And, you know, they're used to public TV used to only do the smart nonfiction programming, but it had its huge blind spots culturally and who they were promoting and, and then cable came and now there's like A&E and History Channel and Discovery. I think the same things happened in, in audio. You, you know, there's no longer, NPR does not have the lock on thoughtful audio and thoughtful programming. And so that, all that stuff's really great. All in all, it's great. I feel very fortunate that the world, this nerdy world that I took a shot in blew open. You know, I was resigned to where I would, my dream was to be on NPR and to be a host Maybe when I got older, I'd be an editor. Still have those dreams to some degree. But man, I couldn't have imagined that it would become cool and that it would be cheaper and cheaper to make things and that I could, you know, anyway. So overall, I'm an enthusiast. I've also been in podcasting now, though, from the moment that Apple made it an option on its iTunes in 2005 or six. And yeah, I've watched, there's another narrative, which is there used to be, you know, these indie bands, and then, you know, it kind of 
people recognize the potential in it. And then there's this golden age where there was money sluicing in, yet there weren't so there wasn't so much choice and it wasn't so overly commercialized that you couldn't have these magic things happen. Those magic things, including like heavyweight or serial episode one or other things, season one. But yeah, and now it's continuing to mature. And it's becoming easier and easier to make the barrier to entries lower. There's more and more options. You know, there's not enough critical, there's not enough places reviewing podcasts. You can make a million dollar podcast with eight episodes, and it is available at the same place that if the guy across the street records a podcast about his air conditioner, it's just what I'm looking at, like it'll be given the same kind of opportunity which is on the one hand, great and democratic, but on the other hand, so much good stuff gets lost. And then people are like, well, why am I going to write a check for that interesting thing? Because it's, it's not, you know, unless there's a celebrity attached, it's not going to work. And then capitalism kind of metrics rule the game now in a way that they didn't, you know, there was a little bit of an era where there was like lots of new things and people could make their name. There's Gabriel Truffleman, who I adore, who worked for 99PI who did a separate articles of interest, this little season on fashion that was so cool. And then she became a thing and now has a career and worked at the cut. Like, I don't know if those days are coming harder and harder to come by. It's really harder, harder to move the needle. And that can be discouraging, um, especially for someone like me who likes the weird and the indie and the arty. But on the whole, I think more people are benefiting than are not benefiting. And I'm still excited. I, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like when I, I worked with all the younger producers and stuff on different projects and they're so damn talented. They're so much more sophisticated about sound than I am. And that gets, gets me excited. And so all in all, I'm excited about it. I do think, yeah, the, 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 uh, the gauge of like, you plug a hole in the ground, you're going to strike oil is over. But that doesn't mean it's not worth doing. It just means that in a way, the reasons are quieter or more urgent and personal, right? If you're going to do something that doesn't have mass appeal all right off the bat, then it really just needs to be fed by one's passion and interest. And that, I mean, as, as hippie as it sounds, I mean, yes, that the nourishment you're going to get is only going to be your connection with whatever numbers of people are listening, you know, you learning with the people you're talking with and the community you're, you're working on. But monetary and otherwise... Yeah, it's it's not as you know, it's it's tough sledding, I think, you know, if you if you don't if you don't have your own creative self-esteem, you're gonna yeah, it can be crushing, you know. It's an interesting world. Like like I feel like it's exciting and I feel like I feel like there's a lot, a lot of unrealized potential. I love this show. I, I hope people listen, you know, they, there's a they say about the Velvet Underground, how dare I even mention myself in the same sentence, but they didn't sell a lot of albums, but everyone who bought an album started a band. Mm. And like, I feel like, you know, if there's more on the ground podcasts with like David Chang because of my show, that will make me excited in a nerdy way. <laughs> yeah. Um, like the medium, like, like I feel like it has such room for growth and I want to keep trying to prove that that can be, but it is a little maddening that it's no longer, it's not like a meritocracy. It's not like if you have the best, most interesting show, people are going to hear it. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Um, so does that answer your question at all? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm I have 10 seconds with you. So well, I'll wrap I can up come with, back for another half hour. Oh, I would love I would love that. But I'll I'll just ask you I have a we usually end with rapid fire questions, but I'll ask you two things that you can answer in a somewhat rapid fire manner, which 
after hearing, especially that you worked with, you know, Terry Gross and how much experience you have, what is your greatest piece of advice or lesson on interviewing? Oh, man. I need to, I want to write a book on it someday, maybe. I don't, uh, distilling it all into one. I don't, I don't, I mean, not to do this, probably not to ask. No, 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 no. I do this. No, no, no. There's one. Uh, I'm just trying to think of where to pick, but I guess it's two, don't have to give two that are, that come to mind. One is listening, which we often, especially in podcasts, when you're doing everything, when one is the interviewer, the prepper, the technical manager, the social person with the other person at the end of the line, is and I'm not, you are very good at this because you have gave yourself a platform and a show that has space that allows you to listen. And often, you know, you have to slam everything in 22 minutes. So I think listening is an important part of interviewing. And I'm guilty of it too, because it's going to conflict with my second piece of advice, which is probably the most important, which is it's really like never forget the list, the, never forget the audience. The guest can forget the audience. And, but you, you can't ever forget the audience. Like everything is to serve, like you're, you're, when you're talking to them for the person, you are, you have to have double consciousness of I'm listening to this person, I'm responding, but there's this other third party that I'm, that I am the, I'm the conduit for. And so I need to be, I need to constantly be thinking of them in small ways. The obvious stuff is if, you know, um, you know, what you're talking about, you're like, I was like, oh yeah, Evan, he's great. And you're like, Evan Dando of the Lemonheads. Like you and I know that we're talking about Evan Dando because we just talked about the Lemonheads, but the audience may not have picked up on that. And so I think the hardest thing new hosts and new interviewers have a problem with is playing dumb. Like you have, you, it's not like a conversation where you're like, no, I know what you're talking about. It's like, you have to assume that there's someone listening who doesn't know and you have to keep it in, you have to be, inviting and open to them and so that double consciousness is is important so it's like listening but it's also being an advocate for the audience and i and and that is tricky is to keep them clued in on what's happening if if the person's going too heavy you gotta you know make it light if the person is going you know this way you gotta bring it the other way but just keeping them informed and reminding them that you know you're there you have to care for them and by sometimes you reference them directly but sometimes you um, you know, you can do it in different ways, just by interrupting someone sometimes or being like, wait a second, wait a second. Yeah. Forgive me if this sounds dumb, but you are in, you know, whatever the lemon head, like, and, and that I think is a hard thing for people is to play dumb. It just goes against everything we're socialized to do. But the true hosts, I feel like our good interviewers are, are comfortable playing dumb. Yeah. And you can fix a little bit of that by adding it in later, but that's, that's also that's true. You can fix it in post. <laughs> okay. Last thing to, to leave us with, cause I know you have to go and thank you so much for being here, but a huge theme through all the episodes to me and something that is really important to me. And I'm so fascinated by is friendship. And I would love to know your greatest lesson on friendship or anything that the show has taught you about friendship as an adult? It's really tough to make something with your friends. It's really hard. My producer said some, you know, like, I don't know, I know if it's impossible, but it's hard. I feel like, especially a show that plays with emotions and intimacy. And it's like, I, I understand why bands break up. And you're like, when you're, when you're a fan of them, you're like, wait, what? Like, why would they ever stop? 
you know, like, oh my God, they must've got caught up in drugs or they were, you know, their partner divided them. It's like, no, like, I think it's just like when you're really going for it and there's no boundaries, like, I, I feel like it's, it's, it's just tough. Um, so I don't know, that sounds bleak, but, or ominous, but friendships are precious and like, they're like a unique resource and we need to be careful about where we bring them. And on the one hand, one of the most precious things about friendship I've learned and understood and found is you can, you can hear the shows. You can be completely yourself. You can say anything without judgment and you love the person anyway and, and et cetera. And they, and they kind of reflect you and they can also say things critical of you that you can only hear from them because they're not a romantic partner and they're not a family member and they're not a stranger. On the same time too, I think then taking that show on the road and sharing it with other people is tricky business. And um, I think I'm lucky that a lot of my friends are in my milieu in media, so they get it. But uh, I think it's I think it's tricky. And so, yeah. Does that answer that? Is that yeah, too, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And thank you so much for doing this. I know you have to go, but the name of the show is Let It Out. So is there anything that you wish that I would have asked that you oh. never get to share or anything that you want to add? before you go? No, I feel like this has been a great conversation. I wish I, I had more time to kind of to keep talking with you. I, maybe in, in the future, if we ever get to chat again, I would have some questions for you because I feel like the show, there's like some, there are some Easter eggs and there's some moments of magical realism. And I'm curious about how people process those because I made them, but I haven't encountered, you know, the people I know have heard it have been my producers, but hearing how people respond to these certain moments where there's like a little disorientation because you're like, wait a second, that did that happen or did that not happen? Yeah, I, I, I had them all. I had them all written down. So, I <laughs> so maybe we can. To, yeah, maybe we can pick up there that. next time. But yeah, um, for sure. But thank you so much for having me, and I really admire this format. And um, I hope you hope you have me back. And yeah, listen to the end of the season because there is an out. There is like an overarching story that will be resolved in the next couple episodes. I so. will. I absolutely will. And thank you so much. It, it means so much that you were here and thank you for wanting to advertise on this show. And I'm so happy that I got to do this and meet you and it brought it into my world and I'm going to be a fan and recommend it. And yeah, I'll, I'll see you soon. <laughs> All right, Katie. Thanks so much. Have a good night. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for being here and listening all the way to the end. If you liked this show, great. Thank you so much. You can get the show notes emailed right to you with a letter, an essay, a personal essay that I write called the Let It Out Letter. That link is in the show notes wherever you're listening to this. Share it with a friend who you also think would like it. And most importantly, follow Brendan everywhere and go listen to Not Lost. I really liked it clearly and I think you might as well. The link to both his show as a whole, as well as the specific episodes that I drew out for us to talk about will be in the show notes, but I recommend starting at the beginning. It's kind of like an album, you know? I think it was meant to be listened to in order, and I actually tried to start at the most recent one and like kind of couldn't get into it, and then I went back to the first one, and I was like, oh, I get it, and I'm in, and then I listened to all of them. So try it that way. I think that's the way it was meant to be but I'm really grateful that you're here that you're listening if you want to go into our archive if you're new here there's 
plenty to explore. Don't go too far back because it's embarrassing and cringy as discussed here. And it was interesting at the end, right? When we're talking about interviewing and podcasting in general, but specifically interviewing. And he gives me that advice of always consider the audience while you're interviewing. The two pieces of advice, as you just heard, were listen and make sure you're thinking about the audience. And I just kept thinking to myself, oh my God, I asked very self-serving questions to this person that I was curious about. And I maybe I wasn't thinking of you enough. I'm so sorry. So hopefully that part was interesting to you. And if not, you probably shut this off by now and uh, you're not listening currently. So uh, blessings to those people. Okay, well, I, again, really love you so much. I cannot believe that I get to do this. I'm more grateful than ever after having that bit of the conversation, thinking that if this were 20, 30 years prior, I would not be communicating with so many people all over the world in this way. There's no way I would have been working for NPR or had a platform like this. So I can't believe I get to do this. And it truly means so much to me. We talked a lot about friendship on this and one more week if you want to fill out the survey about friendship and friendship breakups. Thank you so much to everyone who's done so, so far. The link is in the show notes. Kayleen Schaefer, author, incredible writer, editor, and I are making a project about friendship. So if you want to learn more about filling out the survey for us, link is in the show notes. I love you. I will talk to you next week. Fresh episodes every week. Oh